everyone, and welcome to Pro Tour Talk with Steve Dodge. Today is October 21st. No, it is not. Today is October 25th, and it is the day to talk about the men's side at the Tour Championship. Spoiler alert, Chris Dickerson won. But I want to go through that card person by person and uh, and show that there were a lot of stories going on concurrently. No matter who you were pulling for, you had highs and you had lows and you were emotionally involved. And that was a roller coaster round if ever there was one. So without any further ado, we're going to get right into it. We're going to go from five to one, talk about their days, talk about their years, talk about their, their round. And, uh, and then we're going to finish it up with a nice interview with our champion, Chris Dickerson. So in fifth place was Kevin Jones. So this was a pretty stacked card. And the number one player, Paul McBeth, in tour points, and the number three player, James Conrad, in tour points, didn't even make it to the finals. And this card is still crazy stacked. Uh, if I was on this card and I got fifth, I would be very, very happy. Although, I suspect Kevin Jones was not. All season, Kevin Jones has been carding more birdies than anybody else on tour. He's been pairing those with enough bogeys to keep him out of the winner's circle. So... At the Tour Championship, it was just a question as to whether or not he could temper some of those birdies, uh, temper some of those bogeys, and keep getting all of those birdies. <laughs> birdies, bogeys, who knows what's going on. All I know is that in the final round, Kevin Jones got nine birdies, more than anybody else in the round, and he lost. That is pretty crazy on several fronts. Through five holes, Kevin Jones was four down. The winning score, four down. Just thinking about that. Uh, if only we could look ahead a couple of hours in time. Where do I need to be? Oh, I could just par out and win? Yeah. Uh, things are a little different at that point. So, Kevin Jones, interestingly, on hole 14, that was his... That was his death knell. Uh, he cards, what did he card? He carded a nine on hole 14 with a couple of OB strokes. Going into hole, he lost five strokes to Nate Sexton on hole 14. He lost four strokes to everybody else. He finished five shots off the lead, and that includes a double bogey on the final hole where he had to go for everything. So call that, a, just even just call that a par, and he wins by one if you take away hole 14. Um, all in all, it was a, a great outing for Kevin Jones. He made it to the finals. That in and of itself is a great accomplishment. He had a great breakout season. In our awards show tomorrow, I expect you'll hear his name. But it was definitely a pleasure to see him out there succeeding at such a high level. Interesting, during the... Uh, the manufactured crisis of hole 15 right after Kevin Jones's quadruple bogey on 14 that would have been uh, would have been interesting to watch how Kevin was reacting during that 
because he was in a very different space than all of the other players who were still vying for the championship. Kevin, thank you very much. You had a fantastic season, one of the most entertaining players out there, and you've played like a gentleman all season. Thank you. We look forward to seeing you next season. Next, we move on to Nicolo Castro, who tied for third, just two strokes out. Nico's had an up and down season, like a lot of Nico's seasons. He's got the skills, he's got the desire, he's got the fans. Turns out Nico's also a great commentator. If you, uh, if you check out his commentary, I think he did the MPO semifinals with Corey. A lot of really good reviews there, Nico. Keep it up. I uh, especially liked the comment. Uh, it's like playing, it's like bowling with the bumpers up. Uh, sometimes things just kick right for you. So in the final round, though, Nico, just like Kevin Jones, started out very hot. Three down through the first four. And as we all know, four down wins the tournament. Going on to the final hole, Nico was also still three down. He got the bogey on hole 15, just like Nate Sexton. Well, he got it in a different way. He, uh, he was short of the green. Nate, Nate was long of the green. But uh, without, without that bogey, he'd be, uh, he'd be tied going into the final hole. As it was, he's one down going into the final hole. I should say one behind. And on that last hole, Nico had to push, and he did. And he did exactly what he needed to do, which was try for the birdie. And unfortunately, sometimes that brings bogey into play, and that's what happened in this case. And uh, Nico ends up hitting his only circle two putt of the day, about a 50-footer, to card the bogey six and end up losing to two to Chris Dickerson. Uh, a fantastic season with four or five holes to go. It looked like Nico was going to be our tour champion. It's really exciting seeing his game maintain its top form throughout the past, well, I guess throughout the past eight or nine years, but realistically, it feels like he's bringing it, he's reeling it back in. And uh, along with a lot of the new talent that we have, I think Nico might be one of the guys we need to look to next year to have a lot of podium finishes. So thank you, Nico. It was great watching. It's time to move on to Ricky. So coming into this round, I think a lot of people would be picking Ricky Waisaki out of this fivesome. Number two ranked player in the world, and the number one ranked player isn't in the group. He's won, I don't know the number, lots of big events. Let's say dozens. He knows what it takes, and he gets it done. His very first drive, I think, set the stage. It was just a beautiful flexizer. It came back, gave himself about a 45-foot look for birdie. Nobody else even had a look at birdie. It was The wind was howling. 45-foot look at birdie. He doesn't convert, but he does set himself up, and you need opportunities to win. 
after uh, a par on hole two, he goes birdie, birdie, birdie on holes three, four, and five. He hits a 70-footer on hole six to save par. And going into hole eight, he, Kevin Jones, and Nico Locastro are all at minus three. It's a pretty exciting start to the round. Chris Dickerson and Nate Sexton were at minus one and even, respectively. Not doing a whole lot, but not out of it. On hole eight, Nico and Kevin drive OB. Ricky also drives OB. Nate and Chris are safe, and things just got real tight real fast. Ricky's next shot, he tries the big hero route. He wants to save that par. He instead brings triple bogey into play. And after hole eight, he went from first to last. The rest of the way through, he would go two down, carting three birdies and a bogey. But the clicking just seemed to stop. And Ricky would end up tied for third with Nico Castro, two shots behind Chris. He had a great season, second in tour points, third in the tour championship. I think if it wasn't Ricky, just about anybody would be really happy with that. It was great to watch him play. And we look forward to see him on, seeing him on many podiums to come. Uh, a true champion. After hole eight, those shots going OB. If you can sense emotions of any kind, you knew that Ricky was hurting at those moments. And he didn't let it show very much. And he kept his chin up and he kept fighting and it was inspiring to watch. If we had remembered to give out the Spirit Award after the tournament, Ricky earned it right there. Remembering that we're role models, that we're competitors, that we're champions, and that we need to represent ourselves with grace and respect and acceptance. Ricky did all of those things in that moment. And he ended up in third. This brings us to Nate Sexton. So Nate Sexton won the Ledgestone Open. I'm sorry. Nate Sexton won... <clears throat> Nate Sexton won the Ledgestone Insurance Open presented by Discraft. He did it by playing a very safe, consistent game. As far as I know, Nate shot six down in every round of the Ledgestone. Every round, somebody shot better than him, but he was consistent and plotted his way to the top, edging out Chris Dickerson when Chris's upshot rolled OB 
and essentially finished his chances of catching Nate on the final hole. The Tour Championship is designed in such a way that you need to win your card in the semifinals and win your card in the finals. It's not a cumulative game. It's exactly the opposite of what Nate Sexton excels at. Nate Sexton is the consistent golfer who over three or four rounds on a very challenging course is going to hit his lines, avoid the OB, and slowly overtake everybody. But that's not the way the Tour Championship is set up. Five guys starting in the blocks on hole one, all even, go. So Nate Sexton did what Nate Sexton does. He plotted through the round. Through the first nine holes, he had two birdies and one bogey. In that, on that day, it was enough to actually have him one shot out of the lead, especially after hole eight, where Ricky, Nico, and Kevin all fell apart. Over the last nine holes, Nate Sexton played Kevin Jones golf. He guarded six birdies in the last nine holes. He paired those six birdies with a double bogey on 13 and a tragic bogey on 15. His disc landing inbounds, finding the one gap in the wall and scooting out of bounds. He found himself two down with three to play and he did everything he could to try to grab that ring birdieing out on holes 16, 17, and 18 to the delight of the stunned crowd after his unfortunateness. Unfortunateness? After his unfortunate rollout on 15. Nate played like a champion and came up one stroke short of taking home the 2018 Tour Championship. It was a great battle that won't be forgotten for years to come. Four players within two strokes. Unbelievable. And that brings us to Chris Dickerson. And I think it's best if we let Chris Dickerson walk us through his tournament at the 2018 Tour Championship. And with that, here we go. Hello, everyone. We are joined by Chris Dickerson, Disc Golf Pro Tour Champion from 2018. Hey, Chris, how's it feel? Uh, you know, it feels pretty good, Steve. Uh, do you think it's soaked in yet? 
Yes, yeah, it definitely did. Um, <laughs> after the round, uh, I went out to eat, and it was it was basically basically like any other tournament round. We got finished, went out to eat, and then uh, you know it didn't really feel any different. But around ten o'clock or so, whenever I started to go to bed that night, uh, I think that's when it kind of soaked in because I I could not go to sleep. <laughs> so that's funny because around 10 o'clock I, I was no I wasn't even near bed yet but whenever I got to bed I, I was doing the same thing I was lying in bed and remembering the days um, so what kind of things were you thinking about uh, while you were busy not sleeping uh, I mean it was just it's been the, the biggest win so far for me and I, I was just excited and I don't know. I was just full of excitement. I couldn't couldn't sleep because of it. Do you have a hundred career wins yet? I don't. Um, oh. I think I'm sitting around ninety. the The last time I checked, I was in the eighties, but I don't remember when that was. Because we we did an article at the beginning of the year about uh, about folks that might reach a hundred this year. And uh, and I was talking with Seth about about you, and he he mentioned that you were mentioned in that article as a like an outside chance. So uh-huh. uh, you you got somewhere near, and uh, my guess is you reach it next year, and uh, that's going to be a nice little milestone. Maybe you'll win win something big again. Uh huh. Hopefully. <laughs> so the uh, let let's I'd love to go through this tournament and. Uh, it's designed to be exciting each day, but unlike uh-huh. most tournaments where it's designed to be exciting at the top, this event's designed to be exciting uh, around the eighth and ninth positions on the first couple of days. And uh, yeah. what did you shoot on the first day? On the first day, uh, I came in with a 10 under. And do you know what the hot score was that day? Yes, the hot score was a 10-under. I believe it was me, Anthony Barella, and um, Joel Freeman. Joel Freeman, yeah. So uh, on the first day, you come in with a 10-under. Not a lot of drama for you. You're you're going to make it through. Yep. Yeah, uh, I actually teed off on the, the last tee time, so I was able to look um, <clears throat> and see what people have done so far throughout the day. So whenever I checked toward the end of the round, I think I was at seven or eight, uh, I was like, okay, great. Well, I made it as long as I don't do anything dumb on these last few holes. <laughs> and, uh, and and you didn't, and you finished with the, the hot round of the day. And then on day two, what did you shoot on day two? Day two was also a 10 under. And what was the hot score that day? It, it was 10 again. <laughs> I'm sensing a pattern, Chris. Um, uh-huh. And how did you feel at the end of day two when you, uh, you you come in, and on day two you would have started early in the day because you were you were coming from, from the quarters, uh, yeah, I mean from round one into the quarters, uh, and you put up that 10 down. Were you uh, concerned at all that you might not make it? Um. <clears throat> Not not really. I mean, there was still a little bit of doubt because, like you said, I did tee off earlier in the day. I think I was the, the second card out. Yeah. And uh, I felt like it was a good round, but there were still, I think, two more groups to play after mine. So 
I think somebody uh, somebody said, you know, if uh, if somebody doesn't look like they're going to shoot a ten under, so there were uh, eight people left, four on each group. Yep. They, they said uh, if they don't look like they're going to shoot a ten under, you can kind of celebrate to yourself because you made it. <laughs> and yeah, the likelihood of right. eight ten unders coming in is pretty pretty low. So you've uh, so after two days, uh, and it's fun because you you had eight people behind you to finish, and uh, and you're pretty confident they weren't all going to beat you. Uh, yep. So you go ten down, ten down, and uh, you were okay. And then you go into the semifinals, and the semifinals is is a little different than the first couple rounds. Semifinals, you have to win your card to advance uh, yep. or get a wild card. And do you remember who was on your card? Yes. Uh, Paul McBeth was the number one spot on the card. The second spot was Grady Shue. And then the number three was Simon Lazat, and I was the fourth. I think when people looked at that card, uh, it was definitely, well, it definitely seemed like the stacked card. And... Uh, uh, there, there was, uh, and I remember looking at that card, thinking, "Wow, the the rookie of the year last year is the chump on the card," and that uh-huh. is high praise for that card because uh, Grady Shue is going to beat most of the people on the earth up and down and sideways, and uh, and in 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 our power rankings in that card, he's fourth out of four, which is crazy. Um, mm-hmm. So. You step up to that, and you know you've got skills, um, but you haven't won a pro tour event before, and you've got right. Paul McBeth, the uh, tour points champion. You've got Simon Lazat, who who can do anything with a disc and, and has done it multiple times on video, and uh, and Grady Shue, the rookie of the year, and Chris Dickerson, who's uh, who's never won a pro tour event, but just this year alone has won 25 events in and around his area. He's Clearly, clearly got skills. When you're on that tee in the first hole, did you think I've got this? Um, <clears throat> to be honest, uh, I was I was nervous. Uh, the the two days before didn't really have any nerves because I had a I had a backup plan if I were to uh, get put out. But going into Saturday, I didn't have that plan anymore. So I I will say I was kind of nervous. Uh, let, let's touch on that backup plan, and then touch on your nerves. What What do you mean you had a backup plan? <clears throat> okay, so uh, going into Thursday, I made a plan with my wife. She She came down with me, and the plan was if I were to get put out on the first day, I would take the, I think it was five hundred dollars. Is that is that correct? Uh, it was five hundred and seven hundred on the second day. Yep. Uh, so if I if I got put out on the first day, I would take that five hundred dollars, and we were going to leave as soon as the uh, my round was over. As soon as I knew I didn't make it, and we were going to drop to Virginia, where there was a tournament with a pretty good payout. And one one of my uh, favorite courses, probably in my top ten favorite courses. So we were going to leave for that from there, and go to another tournament and try and make some more money. And if you had lost on the second day, 
excuse me, if you had lost on the second day, was that still in the plans? It was. Um, obviously, if if I would have got put out on Thursday, we would have had all all night to, I mean, a little bit into the night to drive and then wake up the next day and be able to drive the rest of the time and actually practice the course before the tournament. But uh, I did I did talk to her about it, and if I would have gotten put out on Friday since I was teeing off early in the morning, um, we would still have enough time to get there. It would just be a little bit of driving through the night, maybe a little early in the next morning. That's uh, <laughs> that's pretty entertaining, and um, I actually think there were other players who who did lose on Thursday, and did go and and compete in in events at their hometown or on their way to the hometown, and and I, I presume they did pretty good. We've got some good skills on the tour, so. Unfortunately for you, your backup plan didn't work. Uh, although, no, that's good. You don't ever, you don't want your backup plan to work. You want, you, you don't even <laughs> want to go there. So, okay. So, yep. fortunately for you, you didn't do your backup plan. You go into day three, and you you've got some nerves. You've got McBeth, Lazat, and Shoe, and uh, and you know you need to win that card to advance. Does that does that change the way you play that round? Um. Not, not that much. I I went into the round, uh, kind of thinking I'm gonna do about the same thing as I've done uh, the two previous days. I didn't really play it overly aggressive, but I was still trying to put myself uh, in the places to get birdies where I where I needed them. And uh, did did you card a bogey on that third round? I did. Um, I believe I bogeyed hole six. Hole six is a par five, and yeah, yeah, I did. I did bogey hole six during that okay. round. Okay, and you. So you got one bogey, and uh, I know what you shot, but I'll let you say it. Uh, how many thirties <laughs> does that mean you got? Well, with with the one bogey, I would have had to get fourteen birdies. Uh, end up at 13 under par. That is a lot of birdies, especially <laughs> on that course. The course record uh-huh. last year was minus nine, and I don't uh-huh. I don't know if you know, but you probably do. They made that course harder. They did not make that course easier, and um, and you beat last year's course record by four. Uh-huh. That's crazy. Um, that number 13 came in and. There were a lot of people that were just blown away. Um, who who got second on your card? Do you, do you? I don't. I don't know the answer to that. Do you know the answer to that? Yes, uh, Simon got second on the card. Okay, and he he was probably seven or eight. Um, I think he was. I eight. think he, he. I think. Yeah, I think he finished at eight because he he was gonna he was looking at the live scoring going into. 17, and he saw he was two back. I think Kevin had already finished at a t- uh, 10 under. Yeah. So what what he did, he laid up on 17 to um, to get a birdie oh, back. Oh, that's right. And then he, I guess he wanted to go birdie, birdie, and then um, go into the playoffs. 
So he, he and laid it, up on 17, and he had, I believe it was an unfortunate roll. He he threw a hyzer into uh, the trees right there at the basket of 17, and those trees, being as thick as they were, you would think he would just catch it, but it actually kind of spit the disc out, and it rolled back a little bit, giving him like it, a it, 50, 55-footer. Uh, and he left that little left and short. And uh, uh-huh. I, I remember that shot. I remember him his layup, and uh, that was – I guess Nico had done the same thing the day before, and uh, they feel really comfortable with that, that big power hyzer going going in there. And he threw it about a foot short, and you're right, it, it caught that tree. If it hadn't caught it square, he would have been fine. But it, it caught that trunk square and just hit on down and – and it had some good momentum on it, and it just it just kept rolling right back. And you're right, mm-hmm. left him with a, a 55, 60 footer, and and uh, and then he threw a trem- tried to throw a tremendous third shot to Eagle 18, and that that didn't work. And his his day was over, and he was going home. And uh, Chris Dickerson shoots the course record minus 13 and secures himself a spot in the finals, uh, guaranteeing himself a minimum payout of 1,500. And uh, and a potential payout of seventy five hundred. And walk us through that final, that final evening, and into the next day. Are you acting cool like there's nothing different going on, or are you thinking about it? Um, no, I, I didn't act uh, any different. I didn't change what I've been doing uh, every evening. Just went out to eat with a few friends, and then. Uh, Went back to our campground and hung out for a little while. But, uh, like you said, the the format is different than any other tournament. So I wasn't really thinking I've got a lead or I'm I'm already down some strokes. Uh, it resets every day. So yeah, I wasn't wasn't really uh, worried about it. I'll, if if I needed to worry about it, it would be the next day when we start playing. And uh, that final round, in day three, you were nervous on the on the first tee. Uh, were you uh, were you equally nervous, less nervous, or uh, about the same on day four? Um, probably about the same because. Okay. <clears throat> um, let's see. Ricky made it. Kevin made it. Nico made it. Nate Sexton and myself. Yep. Yeah. So, all kinds of talent on that card, and. <laughs> The the level of play, I I didn't think there was going to be much separation. And especially with the, I think we had 20-plus mile-an-hour wins that day. Yes, we so absolutely we did. I thought, uh, you know, the part threes are going to be where you get the most separation, I would think, because a lot of the part fours out there are longer, and with it being so windy, I didn't think there would be very many birdies on those. And I and I think you uh, that that definitely proved right, and uh, and some of the par fives definitely gave fit. Um, right, long par fives with OB line in the entire side, and uh, if you want to gain strokes, sometimes you have to challenge the OB, and and that sometimes that doesn't work out. Uh huh. Now you played the final round. Did you do this on purpose, or was this just sort of uh, a reaction to? 
the wind in any particular shot. I'm wondering if you had this thought going into the round or did it just develop as the round went. You ended up shooting, I think, five birdies and one par. Uh, I'm sorry, and one bogey. And uh, you you were by far the most consistent player. Everybody else had at least one double bogey and, and, and some with more and much worse. Um, and then, so they were, they were struggling mightily as they went up and down. And you, you maintain, with the exception of hole seven where you missed that Mando, I think that's right. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, that's right. uh, with the exception of that, you were, you were Mr. Consistency. W- was that your plan going in? Uh, yes. All, all weekend I wanted to, just stay away from bogeys and uh, give myself chances that as many birdies as I could, even if that meant they were outside looks, you know, outside the circle, maybe closer to circle two, but just not playing overly aggressive. So t- take what it gives you and, uh, uh-huh. and and don't, don't, don't push. Don't, don't bring right. bogey into play. Yeah. Uh, well, it turns out that that was a very, uh, a very good strategy as everybody else brought bogey into play multiple times and double bogeys and, and worse. Um, and I remember on, I think it was on hole eight, uh, where, uh, Ricky went OB and then went OB from the exact same spot. And it was, it felt, wow, so Ricky's out of it. And then a couple holes later, everybody's within one stroke again. Um, uh-huh. It was, it, it, and I'll just go ahead and say to anybody listening, if you haven't watched that yet, uh, go go to go to our YouTube page, DGPT uh, DGPT YouTube page, and uh, and watch that final round because uh, there's a lot of struggle bus, but it is one of the most thrilling rounds that I could ever imagine. And uh, and you and now this is you said this is a very different format. In your opinion, what do you what do you think of this format? Um, it, it has its, uh, it has its advantages and disadvantages. Um, the disadvantages being, you know, whatever you do the day before, as long as you get by to the next day, it doesn't really matter because you could, you could shoot five better, six better, or only one or two better than the next best score. And if you advance, you're back to, you're back to zero. So right. that's the disadvantage, but the advantage of it is kind of, you know, if you tee off later, you get to see what people come in and what they shoot. So it kind of gives you an idea of what you need to do out there. So and it's, the a, way it's a lot you... of – go ahead. Go, go ahead. It's, it's a lot more uh, mentally challenging than, I think, a normal tournament. That's that's one of the things that I definitely saw out there. And and just to clarify, the way that you get to go, you get to tee off later, is by doing well in tour points. Yes. So uh, on the first day, you were, I think you were like maybe 18th or 19th in tour points. I don't know exactly. Um, uh huh. 18th. And so 18th. Okay. So and so you got to go off in the last card on the first day. But what that means is on the second day, you're you're actually on the bottom half. Because you're yep. playing with eight people who all all were ahead of you in tour points, and so on the second day, there's actually potentially more pressure. Uh, I'm going to close on this question. Uh, would you prefer? And you said it was an advantage, so I think I know the answer. 
Well, would you prefer to go out with the first card and just play as good as you can, or would you prefer to play on the last card and say, okay, I've got to go shoot a six? Um, I would think the last card, because, I mean, you know, you could see off on the first card and then not have any worries. You could go out there and play your game, and if somebody beats you, then they beat you. But if you do see off on that later card, you can kind of go do the same thing, but you still have it in the back of your mind. This is a number I need to aim for. And that, and, you, and you think that's easier, aiming aiming for a number, or, or when you get past the number, you're comfortable and you, and you feel good. Exactly, because you can, if you do get past that number, say the number was four, five, or six, if you get uh, to, say, hole 13, 14, and you're sitting at six under, seven under, uh, you can play your game a little safer, you know, not go for some shots that you would normally think, oh, I really need to get this par three and end up going OB or something like that. you can play a little bit safer, and like you said earlier, just let the birdies come to you. So one of my favorite parts of this event is in the first and second round when that guy on the first or second card comes in and he's eighth or seventh, and he watches everybody coming in, and it's really interesting how, and I'm going to contradict you a little bit, because what I see is people say, okay, uh, for example, Andrew Presnell is sitting at minus three. I uh-huh. just need to get a minus three, and I'd knock him out because I beat him in tour points because I'm playing after him. And people will get to minus two, and then they'll go bogey, bogey, and then they can't get back because yeah. there's it's just it's so you know for a fact you have to get that minus three or you're driving home, and the pressure just starts mounting. And it becomes uh-huh. really, really hard for the for the players to recover from even just one bad hole. Whereas normally, a, you know, you could recover after a bad hole, but the, there's so much pressure on on the players to to succeed. And uh, it's for me, it's fascinating to watch because it, I'm constantly amazed by um, when you have to hit a number or go home. It seems to be much harder to do. Yeah. Um, I think that was actually the situation that um, I found last year along with Zach Melton. We we went home. I think we had a buy because there were 50 players last year. Yep, I think absolutely. we were sitting, sitting around 20, in between 20 and 30th. So we got yep. the buy on the first day. And uh, going into our first round, I think we had the opportunity to look and see what people had been doing. And we weren't having the best round to begin with, but we were still thinking to ourselves, we can hit that number. We can maybe get one in front of it if we <laughs> if we really need to. And uh, the last handful of holes, um, there are birdies there to get, but they're not they're not easy. Actually, none of the birdies on the course are really gimmies. I, I don't. I don't think there's one that I can remember. But once you get to the end of the round, like you were saying, and you've got to hit a number and you're a couple behind, if you have three yeah. holes to go and you finally you miss a hole, you have to play perfect on the last two. 
And right. Yeah, that that pressure can really affect how you're playing, and it it can be tough sometimes, for sure. It's uh, well, I will say I genuinely appreciate you going out there and laying down the hot round of the first day, the second day, the third day, and the fourth day. Um, <laughs> it, it was it was really really fun to watch. And um, did you see our? Did you? I don't know if you saw our cover article on day three, uh, where we had the minus ten, minus ten, minus thirteen, and then the word uh-huh. unstoppable underneath it. Yep. I, I did um, see that. Did you see the little question mark after the word unstoppable? Yes. Okay, because <laughs> we made it small. <laughs> we made it small. So if you just glanced, you didn't see it. Um, <laughs> but a lot of people, we actually had people comment to us on it, and they just thought that was, it was good because it said unstoppable, but uh, we had a little question, a question mark. That's right. We didn't know until until the final day, and then the final day we titled the article unstoppable. And uh Congratulations, Chris. This weekend you were absolutely unstoppable. I appreciate it. Um, so the question that everybody is asking me to ask of you is, will we see more Chris Dickerson out on tour next year now that you've, uh, now that you've seen what paydays can look like? There is definitely the possibility. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, we, we had just recently bought a uh, a truck and a camper, so my wife is going to be coming with me along with our dog, and having that gives us the opportunity to go to certain tournaments and stay out longer instead of where last season it was basically I would drive to a tournament and then drive home. It didn't matter if it was three hours or seven hours away. Uh, I actually drove to Maple Hill, which was a 14-hour drive for me, and then back home, skipped a week, and then drove back up the Worlds, which was uh, a little over 14 oh hours. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. Okay, Chris, <laughs> next next year, just ask if you can stay at the house for a week. Right. Because right. that's now, crazy. I had uh, some other <laughs> stuff come up, but... Uh, okay, okay. Yeah, life, yeah, life gets still. in the way. Well, that's exciting. I think a lot of people are happy that uh, it sounds like we would definitely see you more, but it sounds like maybe not, not yet always. Right. It's not. It's not a for sure thing because uh, I just I don't see the uh, the money in it just yet to go you know all the way to the west coast because if I'm going to be taking a truck and a camper all the way to the west coast, the gas and the places to stay like uh, campsites and all yeah. that, that money is going to continue to add up because it's such a far distance. And then the pressure starts to build because you have to do uh, well a tournament to kind of meet uh, the money that you're spending. Right. So uh, it's kind of a uh, play some tournaments that are a little closer that are not as big as, say, like the Memorial or the Las Vegas Challenge, but they right. still have a decent enough amount, uh, amount of money to where I can stay close and still make a profit. Yeah. Uh, definitely a thoughtful man you are, uh, said Yoda. 
And uh, now I'll go ahead and just throw this out there, and I'm sure you already know, um, but we have worked with the Masters Cup and the Beaver State Fling, and we actually do have, it's, I think it's four out of five weeks, have events with significant payouts on the West Coast. So uh-huh. it's possible it's possible that'll be worth it. But as you said, you then have to come home, and that's another another big batch of gas. So um, I expect you'll make that decision, and we look forward to seeing you at, at every event that we do see you at. And uh, once again, uh, congratulations, Tour Champ. I appreciate it. Thanks, Steve. It is really fun seeing how many people are becoming Chris Dickerson fans. I called a couple people after the tournament to say that I wish they were there and I wish they could give me a hug because it was uh, an emotional moment. And uh, and they said, I've started liking Chris Dickerson ever since. And then they would name one of the tournaments throughout the season. And it was really special because for them, they were watching and literally rooting for Chris Dickerson. I loved that interview. He's soft-spoken. He's thoughtful. He's gracious. And he's a, he's a guy that people can, can root for. I look forward to seeing how far he goes. And uh, Chris, thank you for playing disc golf. We're happy to have you out there, and we look forward to seeing you a lot more. Tomorrow, we will do a season review and tell you all the fun stats you ever wanted to know. And then over the next three and a half to four months, we will start to map out what 2019 looks like. Congratulations to Paul McBeth, our Tour Points champion. Chris Dickerson, our tour champion, and Sarah Hokum, who won the tour points. Oh, yeah. And Sarah Hokum, who won tour points and the tour championship. This has been Pro Tour Talk with Steve Dodge. If you like what we're doing, go ahead and give us a review. Go ahead and subscribe. Go ahead and tell a friend about it. Let's spread the word about disc golf. Thank you all very much. Have a great night.